You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. All right, welcome to a Tuesday edition of Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. I'm Wes Goldberg, and I'm here with Dave Vermill and Ben Golliver from the Washington Post. We've got a great show today. We'll have our thoughts on the latest drama out of Houston regarding Daryl Morey's tweet about Hong Kong. Uh, Kyle Lowry signed a contract extension in Toronto. We'll talk about that, too. But we'll start with tonight's preseason debut of Zion Williamson. Now, Zion was very impressive early on in the Pelicans' first preseason game against the Hawks. He had a memorable dunk off of an assist from Lonzo Ball, which I'm sure got Pelicans fans excited. But Ben, what were your takeaways from Zion's preseason debut? Well, my first takeaway is that you have raised the Zion hype to an all-time unprecedented level. I mean, we had a legitimate international incident involving a Houston Rockets GM, Daryl Morey, and the Chinese government and the Chinese Basketball Association, and yet you still want to talk about Zion Williamson's preseason debut more than that. Yeah, got to keep things light. Got to keep things light, Ben. Oh, look, I love it. Okay, (laughs) I'm all in. I mean, Zion... Yes, he had the dunk like you mentioned, but what always stands out to me is his energy level, his activity, his commitment to doing the little things. I think you saw some playmaking from him, some big-to-big passing, setting up, uh, you know, some open layups and dunks around the hoop for his teammate because, of course, he he's drawing a lot of attention. Uh, you saw some good movement around defensively, uh, but you just saw, to me, a very functional overall offensive scheme uh, for the Pelicans. It wasn't like it was just the Zion show, right? He is. They've been preaching that he's sort of part of their team down there. They don't want to put too much expectations on his shoulders. And I think one you know positive takeaway uh, from that framework is just the role of Brandon Ingram. To me, he was very involved. Uh, he had a lot of touches. He was uh, you know just staying in the mix in their offense. And I think there was a lot of questions coming into the season. What does his fit look like? Is there going to be enough room for him uh, given that Zion's not really a shooter and that he hasn't really been a three-point shooter? And it seems to me the way they were playing style-wise, pace-wise, uh, Ingram was still able to be you know actively involved, not coming at the expense of Zion Williamson. I think that's a really positive sign for them. Uh, yeah, I want to get to the Brandon Ingram stuff in a little bit, but just to go back to Zion here, you know, I've seen him now twice. I've seen him in Vegas. It was a little underwhelming, and I saw him in this game uh, on NBA TV between the Pelicans and the Hawks, and it does sort of feel to me like he's forcing the dunk thing. It doesn't really matter if anybody's in front of him. By the way, it doesn't matter if anybody's in front of him. He could still just dunk it. It doesn't matter. But for him... It's sort of like when you're on Madden and you're just like, I'm going to throw the vertical here. It doesn't matter if they're you know playing cover two. I'm going to do it anyway. It just sort of feels like he is in that video game mode, and I don't, I don't blame him for it. You know, he's a viral superstar in the sense that he, we know who he is because of highlights on Instagram and on Twitter. And in a lot of respects, that's sort of his meal ticket to where he is now. But he is in the NBA now. He's going to have to build on the dunking thing, and I just. I, I'm I'm very in on the Zion Williamson hype train. I, I he does have a great feel for the game. He isn't just a dunker guy, but it does feel to me like he almost defaults to that a little well bit more than well, I'm comfortable with. Wes, allow me to spin this just a little bit more positively, okay? I don't think that Zion's necessarily trying to dunk for the crowd. I think he's trying to dunk because it's something deep within his soul. Okay. I think he's like the NBA version of a heat seeking missile where he is just magnetically drawn to the rim and he can't control it. He can't help himself. And I think once you admit that to yourself as the viewer, he becomes a lot more entertaining of a player to watch because here's this guy, every time he steps on the court, uh, he's trying to go downhill in a hurry. Uh, he's trying to cause havoc around the basket. Uh, to me, that makes him one of the most entertaining players that I've seen you know, come through the college ranks uh, in years and years and years. And I think he's absolutely the, you know, probably the guy more than any other who I'm excited to watch this season. 
And that that that's okay because most people are going to watch the Pelicans via Zion Williamson dunk highlights, but they they're putting a good team together there, right, David? I mean, you, Ben was talking about Brandon Ingram there. They've got a lot of nice young pieces. Lonzo Ball looks more comfortable. What do you think about the the Pelicans team in general? Well, I think they're a fun watch. Uh, at the same time, uh, I think we should probably put the kibosh on any kind of playoff hopes. I think a lot of people have some unrealistic expectations about how quickly this team will bond. And you know, obviously with the Western Conference as deep as it is and some much more legitimate contenders out there in the field who are might might be likely to miss the playoffs, uh, I don't think we can expect the, the Pelicans to reach the postseason. And that's okay. I think uh, our, our expectations should be tempered, not just with Zion Williamson, but with the team in general. I think they've got a good cast of characters and it's all about focusing on their growth as a team. And I think that's part of the enjoyment process I think is seeing these players from Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram kind of break out from the Lakers and LeBron's shadow and to developing their own personality and their own style of play to even Zion Williamson making whatever adjustments he needs to make to to succeed at the NBA level and continuing to watch Drew Holiday be a, a you know a steady consistent star that doesn't get a lot of hype uh, this is a good solid team they've even got great veteran presence there with Derek Favors and JJ Redick guys that can contribute in a number of ways and so this team is going to be fun to watch it's not necessarily about reaching the playoffs and they can still win a lot of games and be an enjoyable team without having to to have to reach any kind of unrealistic playoff expectations. Yeah, and the thing I like about the NBA, too, is they do a good job, uh, for the most part, putting these young, promising teams in a spotlight. Now, granted, their spotlight was a preseason game on NBA TV, but on the other bench tonight was the Atlanta Hawks, who were very much a, a, a similar outfit. They got a guy like Trey Young who they are building around. They have a lot of really good young players. They drafted DeAndre Hunter, Cam Reddish this, this summer. Um, I mean, these two teams, they're, they're very much in development, Right compared to all these other superstar duos we saw form over the summer, but um, you know I think the Hawks are right there too. Now, I, just similarly to the Pelicans, no playoff hopes just yet, but it does. They have a core there. They have a game plan there, which is nice. Um, what are your thoughts on the Hawks, David? I think they're another good team. I think you know it's fun to see what John Collins is going to be able to do in his third season and Trey Young in his second season. Uh, they've got some nice players there. I think. Uh, a guy that often gets overlooked and Kevin Herter. Uh, he's another young, promising uh, wing player, and, and he should be an interesting one to watch. And, of course, they're rookies. Um, you know, I think we have all these expectations that playoffs and championships in particular define a team's success. But I think Atlanta's at a point where they're still trying to build something. They've got an identity that they're slowly starting to build. I, mean, I don't think we can proclaim them I'm having a deep culture just yet but as long as they continue to show progression I think we'll be fine I, I like watching them play and I think a lot of people will and that's okay if they don't reach a postseason you know they've still got so many young players that aren't quite sure about where they fit in this league yet they're still trying to figure it out together and this could be a fun team to watch without similarly to the Pelicans having to reach the postseason in order to prove themselves as a successful unit yeah I mean both of these teams sort of have these young players who have a little bit of magic to them Trey Young you know, with all of the, the stretch comparisons to Steph Curry out of college. I, you know, nobody that really watches Trey Young likes the Steph Curry comparison there. But there's a little bit of magic. What is he going to do? And very similar with Zion. So I think that helps both of those teams as far as 
just getting a little bit more glamour, a little bit more spotlight. Not all young teams are created equal, though. I think that's something important to right. say here. We've got some older pieces on the Pelicans, whether it's J.J. Redick or uh, Derek Favors. Those guys are going to give them quality minutes. I think Ingram and Lonzo Ball have maybe progressed out of that super young prospect mold. You look at the Hawks, though, very, very young. Lots of trades and, and players departing uh, from last season where they're younger even than you, you would expect. Um, you know, because they're bringing in a lot of rookies and, and leaning on those guys heavily. So to me, uh, there may be two teams in slightly different positions. And I agree with exactly what David said. Pump the brakes for both these squads. Just you know, sit back and enjoy them. Don't worry too much about can they be the eighth seed because ultimately that's not going to matter in the long run. Do we think that Vince Carter, I mean, we know that he's on the Hawks, but do we think that Vince Carter is a little jealous watching Zion Williamson get all this love for all this dunking, or does, is he probably just over it by now? Well, I think Zion Williamson is like man and a half, man and a half amazing, or whatever you want to call it. I mean, he's definitely, <laughs> uh, you know, more than a half a man out there. Let's put it that way. We'll talk about the fallout of Daryl Morey's tweet about China after this. You're listening to Locked on NBA. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. Start your style upgrade now with $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering Locked On at checkout. The Toronto Raptors are keeping their franchise point guard for now, but let's get to the story that's dominating the headlines. Commissioner Adam Silver said that the NBA backs the free speech rights of Rockets GM Daryl Morey. Morey, of course, has been the center of this controversy following a tweet he has since deleted supporting pro-democracy protesters in Hong Kong. What's interesting about the situation is that it it puts the NBA's business interests in China in direct conflict with the league's progressive branding. Ben, I don't know that there is a real solution for the league here. I mean, this is this is a difficult spot for not only Adam Silver to be in, but some of the players with business interest, uh, business interest in China as well. No, there's no possible way they can walk away from China. I mean, consider that like 500 or 600 million Chinese people consumed NBA content last year. That's more than there are people in the entire United States. You had more people watching the NBA Finals on Tencent, the, the streaming service in China, then watched on all television households here in America, right? So this is a gigantic portion of the NBA's business, and it's also a big part of their vision, too. They want to be this global league uh, that's expanding and kind of becoming the next soccer. A big part of that is the growth in China and all the work they've done here over the last 30 years to really build the game up there and, and cultivate an audience. So um, they're absolutely tied to China. They're, it's it's kind of a situation where like they're too big to leave, right? They can't turn their back on uh, these companies whatsoever. To me, I view this as kind of a reckoning moment for the NBA. Every time Adam Silver or league executives talk about China, it's always about the consumers, right? It's this enormous opportunity, this uh, you know great platform, and so on. But China is more than just that. I mean, China is a political powerhouse who can get you into situations, whether it's like human rights violations, conflicts of interest, other political quagmires that the NBA has not really had to deal with before. And I didn't think that their response here uh, was very neat and tidy. It came off to me pretty sloppy and kind of stumbling as they were trying to react to this situation um, over the weekend. You see all the criticism they took today, whether it was from Congress presidential candidates the list goes on and on i think the nba should be viewing this as a major learning experience i think they should step back and really reassess what they want their relationship and and their uh you know product to be like uh in china and then also wonder whether there's any tweaks to be made or any adjustments to be made because this won't be the first time uh that you know china and, and politics gets in between the nba and, and doing business 
Yeah, I'm trying to think of another time that Adam Silver as commissioner has sort of stumbled here. And I, it's not just him, right? But this whole idea that he backs the free speech rights of Daryl Morey is a very political, non-answer statement here. It means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. And David, I don't know, uh, am I missing something here? Because it feels like you know Adam Silver has gotten the benefit of being behind some really uh, great players when it comes to social activism. I mean, you have the, your star player like LeBron James... Uh, is so involved in the community that it, it Adam Silver has gotten a lot of good shine out of that, right? Just as being affiliated with a league of players who do these things, and you compare that to somebody like Roger Goodell in the NFL, you know, Adam Silver doesn't have to deal with Ray Rice right now, you know? And, and that's sort of the players and, and the things happening in the NFL where Adam Silver, in stark contrast to Roger Goodell, has been sort of seen as this commissioner who just does everything right all the time. But in this instance, like Ben said, the, 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 the Chinese consumer is such an important thing to the league that now all of a sudden, I'm not saying it's right or wrong what they're doing, but now all of a sudden, like, this could affect the bottom line. Like, this whole, like, we're really woke type of brand that the NBA has has never really affected them in a business sense, and now it really could. Well, it, it's all fine for Adam Silver and the league in general to want to adopt this progressive branding, as you put it, but at the same time, they don't really... I feel like they rarely take an actual stand other than just kind of passive right. support of their players, allowing them right. to voice their concerns and, and to do things in the community and to take a, a somewhat active role themselves. Obviously, they their NBA Cares program and all the things that they do across the globe are part of, at least how they see it, as their own brand of, of trying to help the community wherever basketball can and will be played. But I think the conflict and what we're seeing this weekend – really highlights the fact that when it comes to impacting the bottom line, they're not going to take an active stance here. And I think they need to kind of decide a little bit more quickly what kind of a league they want to be, whether they do yeah. want to be more like the NFL, where they do want to be a little bit more passive, or whether they can be more active in saying, look, there are actual human rights violations taking place here, and we don't care necessarily about our bottom line. We don't care about our continuing to expand as a global league if it's going to mean costing us our... You know, potential soul. I know I might be overstating it a little well, bit, but no, no. You, but it's it's not just the owners either, right? It's the players. I mean, James Harden came out on Monday and and just said that he supports China, and just kind of said, you know, had this PR statement of how much he cares about China. It's the players are right there, and that's sort of the interesting thing. That's very different than the NFL. Again, is that the the, the NFL owners and commissioner always seem to be in conflict with what the players want, but in this sense. The players also don't want to lose the support in China, which, again, kind of puts that in conflict. I mean, James Harden does things in the community, too, here in the States and in, in Texas and things like that. But now all of a sudden, you know, if it's going to bite into a shoe deal or whatever, you know, I think that the players here, their, bis their business interests could take a hit. I, I hear what you're saying, and, Wes, and but I, I do think it's a little bit different for the players and for the league because the players, they're always able to kind of say, hey, look— when I think about China, I think of the Chinese fans who I've met when I go over there on tours, right? I think about the fans who buy my shoes and, you know, you know, play with me in video games and, uh, you know, reach out to me on social media. That could be the player's perception of, uh, you know, what, what they mean when they say they love China or, or they love, you know, the Chinese support, right? For the NBA, it's very different because it's an organization, right? It's an organization that has a lot of clout. And in this case, it's an organization that had an employee, you know, take, you know, something of a political stand in support 
supporting uh, the pro-democracy protesters uh, in Hong Kong and then run away from it by deleting it and sort of, you know, walking his comments a little bit back. Right. And so from the league standpoint, I just think the implications are much higher when you have a commissioner like Adam Silver, who's been so pro-China, you know, for really a decade. I'm not sure how he avoids this one. I think he just has to take all of his lumps on this uh, and, you know, kind of hopefully, you know, live the fight for another day. I don't think he can uh, escape the kind of criticism that's been coming his way. It's a tough situation for everybody to be in. I don't, I don't know what the right answer is. This is why these guys are paid a lot of money. And, and you know, maybe it'll blow over. Maybe it won't. It'll be interesting to monitor from here on out. Uh, Kyle Lowry signed a contract extension with the Raptors, but that may not necessarily mean he's staying in Toronto beyond the season. We'll talk about that next on Locked on NBA. Kyle Lowry and the Raptors have agreed on a one-year, $31 million contract extension that takes Lowry out of this summer's free agency market. On the one hand, it seems like the Raptors want to keep Lowry around in the post-Kawhi era. On the other hand, it doesn't mean the Raptors can't trade Lowry, and we heard some trade rumblings already, you know, possibly going on this season. You could argue that he is even more value to teams, knowing that he wouldn't be on a one-year rental. Ben, what's your read on this extension? Well, to me, uh, I like this move for Toronto because I think the biggest downside for their season was if they are a little bit choppy in Kawhi Leonard's absence. They're they're trying to reform their identity. Things aren't maybe going up to uh, you know expectations. The trade buzz could get really loud really quickly, and it could be kind of a, a big time distraction around Lowry, right? I mean, you could plug him in mm-hmm. to a lot of potential teams. Uh, and, you know, they definitely boost up in terms of uh, their positioning in the Eastern Conference, especially like if the Milwaukee Bucks could find a way to trade, you know, Eric Bledsoe for Kyle Lowry, like, you know, all of a sudden that team to me is a lot more interesting as a postseason team. Um, you know, you could say the same deal down in Miami. I think they were linked to Chris Paul at one point. If you plug in Kyle Lowry down in Miami, that team, again, is a lot more interesting. And so I think by offering him this extension now they've basically punted all of that kind of drama to the uh you know to next season and really they've avoided him being kind of a lame duck point guard and i think that's healthy for their overall organization now is he going to be able to live up to that standard you know 31 million dollars next year to me that's an open question you know i think we are starting to see some signs of aging from him he's kind of an undersized point guard he's you know already past his 30th birthday that stuff should continue uh but for a team that is trying to sort of find itself here in the post-Kawhi era. I think it's a, a nice stabilizing move for that organization. They're, they're not free of trade talk either, right? I mean, there are potential rumors surrounding uh, Marcus Gasol and Serge Ibaka. And you know, they are, as you mentioned, trying to reform their identity. So we could still see trade rumors kind of buzzing around the team for, for the rest of this season and impacting them. And I guess it all depends, you know, as vague as this might seem, for them to kind of prove what kind of a team they are early on. If they're a successful one, there's no need to break it up right away and, and see how deep you could potentially make a playoff run. But if they start to struggle a little bit, I wonder if we start to hear those rumors grow a little bit louder as the trade deadline approaches. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the, the maybe a deep playoff run there. There's got to be some sort of institutional confidence that a team that just won the NBA Finals, granted with Kawhi, now they don't have them, but most of the team's still there, right? It's just Kawhi is really the only absence. And so I think between Lowry and Gasol and Pascal Siakam, there's, there is a little bit—I sh- I shouldn't have wiped away the Danny Green loss as, as quickly as I did. But, you know, for the most part, the main guys are there. And, and um, we saw this, David, with the Heat after they lost LeBron James. They went on a playoff run. You know, it took a couple years. It wasn't the first year after that. But uh, you, you could, if you still have some of your all-star type players in place, you could still make a little bit of a run. 
but to me it just sort of it just sort of delays the inevitable inevitable rebuild that they're going to have to make unless of course Pascal Siakam takes some sort of crazy leap but for the, I think you know there's probably an 80% chance that they're going to have to rebuild this thing and I think the extension makes Lowry a little bit more of a trade asset than he was before the extension yeah, and it's also a positive PR move, I think, for a lot of their fans. You know, Lowry's an point. incredibly popular player. Um, you know, he's he's viewed as the best player in franchise history, and uh, that's despite Kawhi Leonard's success in his one season there. So I think it kind of placates the fans and at least sends the public message that they're not giving up. They're not just going to rest in their coattails. But I, I still see this team kind of having a letdown, and I don't think that's to be uh, unexpected considering, you know, the fact that they are without Kawhi and Danny Green and they are trying to find what kind of a group they can be. I, I mean, they can still be successful, but I wouldn't be all surprised if they don't make the playoffs either. At the same time, you can at least say, well, you know, we did everything we could to retain our best player, and, and that should count for something. Ben, where would you want to see Kyle Lowry land? You mentioned Milwaukee there. I think Miami would be my preferred destination for Kyle too, Lowry. Right? But Orlando would be a good spot, yeah. I mean, Ben, do you think that Kyle Lowry could still... Like you said you would like Milwaukee's playoff chances a little bit more if they got Kyle Lowry. How much would he really help a team like that? No, he'd help a team like that a lot. I mean, any of those three teams would be kind of dream fits. I mean, they both, you know, all of them have, you know, large needs there. I'm just not sure I agree with you on this idea that this increases his trade value uh, I think, uh, you know, hmm. it's a situation where, like, if the number was lower, right, and he, he had given them, like, a sweetheart deal, then, okay, maybe these other teams are out there saying, oh, let's go get him, and then we're going to have him on a good value for next year. I mean, I think they're paying full price for him next year uh, on that contract. And I, I think more it's uh, about Toronto trying to solidify itself as a, a playoff team, keep its focus uh, on the short term, uh, take care of a guy who's been very popular, like David mentioned. And then, you know, its next chapter is going to come, you know, right around the same time Giannis is a free agent, right? I think that's the kind of the next big stage for the Raptors uh, and Masai Ujiri. So to me, this is a little bit more about buying time, not rocking the boat. Hmm. I mean, the teams that we're talking about would probably prefer having that extra year of Kyle Lowry, understanding that this is not a great free agent class. and Everybody's sort of chasing that Giannis free agency class, but um, you could be right. I don't know. Um, it it's just so, it's a lot of money. I mean, you know, you look back at Kyle's it numbers. I mean, I understand he sacrificed at times last year and sometimes in a big time way, and he might boost his numbers back up a little bit, but... Uh, it's, that's no small change. He's had some, you know, injury absences, some, you know, nicks and bruises over the years, and he's played deep into the playoffs uh, multiple times with the Raptors as well. So I, I just think there's some mileage concerns there. Where if he did hit the market in next summer, even if it's a weak class, you know, I wonder what his starting number really looks like. We'll have to wait and see for that. But that's all we have for today. Remember to listen and subscribe to new and archived episodes of Locked On NBA on Himalaya, as well as on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you're on iTunes. Please leave us a review. Thanks for listening.